I have Mr. Tucker on my screen. Oh, the, um, anyway, um, good morning, Jeffrey. Um, yeah, good morning. Um, if you could give us uh, a brief uh, bio for our listeners, I gather you're with the Brownstone Institute. I don't have much more information on you, but apparently... No, that's fine. Um, I'm an economist by training, and uh, I've worked at a number of different institutions. I was working uh, at an institution that uh, hosted the Great Barrington Declaration in, in October of 2020. Uh, and and then subsequently founded the uh, Brownstone Institute, which specializes in public health and, and economics. And I have several books that I've published, and one I've written on the subject of the COVID, uh, the the re government response to COVID, um, which is, uh, in my my view, uh, universally negative in every country it was tried, without exception. Okay. Uh some of your your uh, people that know you here at the Frontier Institute have said that you're very versatile and uh, that you would be able to uh, perhaps give us some uh, idea of what actions we could take uh, as citizens for something a phenomenon like this. So, to give you a bit of uh, context to work with, um, I watched this right from the beginning, and. Um, it became obvious to me after Donald Trump was uh, diagnosed with COVID and was cured in a couple of days that early treatment was clearly available, not only available, but actually worked. Um, and early treatment was basically prohibited for most of the COVID um, uh, phenomenon. And um, I think if it had been allowed, I think a lot of, for example, Dr. Bhattacharya's testimony yesterday would probably be irrelevant because uh, uh, I think the treatment was very clearly worked. We had Trump, we had uh, Rudy Giuliani got cured in a day. We had uh, personalities, Joe Rogan got cured in a couple of days. Uh, and so did uh, Dan Bongino. So, I mean, this, this was... Uh, available, but it was prohibited, uh, and we were told that there was no cure for COVID. All you could do is go off and uh, uh, quarantine for 14 days and take aspirin. So um, let me throw it to, to your discretion here. Is there something we could have done in order to lessen or uh, basically eliminate most of COVID? Public health has always said that when a new respiratory pathogen comes along, the most important thing is to is to find out the ways to make sick people well. And uh, and medical science has a long history of of dealing with respiratory infections. And this is what medical doctors were saying throughout uh, February of 2020. They were saying, "Don't panic. We know how to fix this. We have plenty of cures. We know that getting out in the sun is very good for you. Vitamin D. Uh, uh, the, you know there are other medications that are that are available. You can use in a combination, whether it's uh, vitamin supplements or ivermectin can be very good antibiotics for uh, secondary infections. A lot of people thought hydroxychloroquine had seen some success with SARS. 
CoV-1 uh, and subsequent uh, random controlled trials have uh, confirmed that. Okay, can, so I, there were, can I stop mm -hmm. you for just a moment? I've forgotten to swear you in. So will you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth in your uh, testimony today? I do. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, th this is the priority of public health, always in the presence of a new pathogen. And by the way, there's always a new pathogen. So everything mutates from everything else. And this is the way the microbial kingdom works. It's just a constantly mutating. Uh, and uh, a pandemic means that it's not yet endemic, meaning that it impacts a lot of people at the same time. And uh, And then the usual way you get out of a pandemic is through natural exposure and an upgrading of the immune system. That that has been going on since the beginning of of time, <laughs> since the beginning of the human experience on Earth. We evolved to coexist with pathogens. So the role of medical doctors in public health has been to focus on on, on making sure that uh, sick people have the means to get well. That was not a consideration. That was in any sense, at least I can only speak for the U.S. case, because that's the one I know the best, but it was not a uh, consideration at all. The NIH and the CDC just completely rejected the idea of early treatment. And all my research uh, points to uh, one very grim reality, which is that very early on in the pandemic response, the sole goal was to protect everybody from the pathogen through lockdowns and, and restrictions of mass beatings, closing of all indoor and outdoor congregate venues in order that we could wait for the vaccine to come along. The idea of the vaccine was, was that it would protect you against infection and transmission, and then we'd end the pandemic through this uh, new technology called mRNA platform technology, and that would give the pharmaceutical companies a big boost, and and everybody would love them and, and be grateful. Uh, well, none of that, that was the scenario that was that was mapped out uh, sometime in, in February of 2020 by, uh, uh, by English and American uh, uh, public health officials, uh, none of that scenario turned out to be uh, true at all. Uh, first of all, the lockdowns and the banning of meetings, the dividing of the workforce between essential and unessential, the plexiglass, you know, the masking, none of that actually stopped uh, the pathogen. Um, it, it probably redirected or delayed maybe, although it's hard to say that there's a whole lot of evidence in that respect either. We don't see any real difference in uh, virus trajectories between areas that were locked down and those that were not. I mean, we have the case of Sweden, which had never had any lockdowns or schools closures. They went through the the uh, pandemic like everybody else, and they have some of the uh, lowest mortality losses in all of in all of Europe, and and no deaths among uh, healthy children at all. So the lockdowns didn't really work to protect people from the virus. Were people going to get it anyway? And the masks, uh, all the random control trials show no evidence that the masks actually protected against the pathogen. And so, and the vaccine was, people think it came out fast. It was actually delayed uh, relative to what they believed. They thought it was going to be rolled out by the summer. It kept being delayed and delayed. Uh, some speculation that was delayed uh, for the for the U.S. election in November. Uh, it came out uh, two weeks later, but once it was deployed, 
that, you know, there's the evidence came in pretty quickly that it would not protect against infection, uh, that the uh, whatever protection it did provide was very short term, maybe a, a couple, three months, and that it certainly didn't stop the transmission of, of the pathogen, uh, which is to say it had no real uh, contribution to make in the achievement of herd immunity. So all this entire time, people kept getting sick. Now, uh, uh, remarkably, that there was, there was uh, at the, the people that were tr advocating for early treatments and had found uh, a nice uh, cocktail of, of, of things for people to take who get sick uh, were censored their voices were censored online by uh, by social media companies, and they were dismissed and denounced by major media uh, at the behest of, of of government officials that were running the pandemic response. So this went on for the better part of two years. Now, in a lot of countries, uh, and I'm speaking about in Central America and Eastern Europe and many places around the world, uh, people figured out that, you know, a combination of ivermectin and zinc and, and doxycycline to prevent against secondary infections was, was enormously successful. India had a miraculous experience, really, with ivermectin. And it was true all over Central America. Mexico, El Salvador, these are not prescription medications. They were available over the counter and handed out to everybody. And it really helped the population. But in the U.S., and I'm, I'm probably true in Canada, too, these things were almost impossible to get, and it was all because we were relying exclusively on the on the the vaccine to uh, solve the problem of the pandemic. And the vaccine turned out to have not uh, achieved anything like what they had predicted. And in fact, there's a lot of evidence that uh, the highly vaccinated were also were even more are, and this is from all over the world, more likely to contract COVID and, and sometimes even more likely to have adverse reactions due to immune dependency enhancement. Uh, so what that means is that the vaccine rewires the immune system uh, in ways that, that make it smart only against one variant, but when the variant changes, it increases individual vulnerability to the, to the new variant. So all of this could have been anticipated, in fact, was anticipated. I'm not a medical doctor or a scientist uh, in, in this field at all, but I knew all of this from just ninth grade biology class and from, and from reading a first year medical textbook on virology uh, that I downloaded early uh, part of the pandemic, so I could have predicted everything that happened. But for some reason, the officials behind this response did not understand this, and so they began to impose uh, vaccine mandates and threaten people with their jobs. Uh, our data indicate that uh, millions of people were displaced from their professional positions, either by uh, being outright fired or just being afraid of the vaccine mandates, not wanting the vaccine, being afraid of being fired, getting fed up with uh, being uh, uh, badgered and, and, and harassed and, uh, and, uh, and, and criticized, and then demonized as being unvaccinated. You remember uh, the U.S. administration said that the, the, the pandemic was ex entirely the fault of the unvaccinated, which is uh, completely false. So lots of people's lives were dramatically disrupted through these vaccine mandates that turn out to have absolutely no public health justification at all. Do you see anything that that the average citizen or any groups of citizens could have done in order to derail this process as it was happening? 
There was a great deal of fear in the air. Uh, we all have fantasies of alternative scenarios. You know, what if the artists had uh, stood up and said, we are not going to be silenced? What if the dance halls had not closed? What if the churches had stood up and said, uh, we're going to continue to let people worship uh, God? Uh, you know, what if the small stores had just opened in any case? Uh, the problem with all those scenarios is that, that while they might have worked on a mass level, uh, we have plenty of evidence of the people who did do that were arrested, like the previous uh, person who testified here, uh, were arrested and harassed by the by the government. And a lot of people don't want, they can't afford fines. They don't want legal entanglements. They certainly don't want to go to jail. So uh, many people were, were just uh, terrified and uh, into going along. Um, you also have the additional problem that mass gatherings now, even protests, are not as easy uh, as they used to be uh, due to facial recognition technology. Uh, we saw in the case of January, uh, January 6, 2001, uh, everybody who was on Capitol Hill that day has been chronicled uh, in, a, in a book, and, and they've, many have been jailed. Uh, others have been harassed and, and forced to testify, and their lives have been ruined solely for speaking out for political reasons. So, so these days, it, it becomes much more difficult to protest these kinds of actions uh, due to these uh, new technologies. Uh, so I understand why, why people were uh, afraid to get out and protest. Nobody wanted to be demonized. And, and even private gatherings in those days were extremely difficult. Um, in Western Massachusetts, I can tell you, that anybody who held a house party was in danger of being demonized by the local media. What, what people were doing, and it's not necessarily the police, but individuals were doing, was flying drones around the community and discovering houses with lots of cars parked out front in the evening and taking pictures of them and sending them to the local press, which would put these uh, pictures of these houses on the front page of the newspaper uh, and claiming that super spreader events were going on. That alerted the p local public health authorities who went in and fined and harassed and uh, uh, the people there, including uh, chasing down people in their license plates. So this was a kind of reaction that we never would have expected in any kind of uh, civilized country that calls itself free with rights for the individual. Uh, it's almost like all that stuff just got put on the shelf. So, so what do we do going forward to make sure this doesn't happen again, in your opinion? Um, well, I think in the first instance, we need to find, uh, find out more truth about why all this happened and why is it that our representative government suddenly became disabled. I mean, the people we vote uh, into office to protect us and serve our interests, we're, we're silenced and disempowered. We need to find out exactly why that happened. A major problem, uh, I'm not sure about the in, the in the Canada case, but in the U.S., a major problem is that a lot of this is clouded under secrecy uh, under the excuse of national security. So it was a national security response. This began on March 13, 2020, where the uh, uh, policy rulemaking power was transferred out of the Centers for Disease Control over to the National Security Council. That meant that everything is locked 
and secret. So this is a major problem. Just finding out the truth about what went on is extremely difficult. I've got a whole team of researchers that's dedicated to this on a full-time basis, and uh, we, we've, we've run into uh, all kinds of stops. I mean, even filing freedom of information requests have not been entirely successful due to redactions for national security reasons. So that is a major problem. Uh, so finding out the truth is one thing. We have to keep, keep at it. Um, the second thing we really need to do is, is convince uh, uh, our legislatures uh, and, and the people who represent us to, to, to end the possibility that anything like this could happen again. And the only way to end that, to my mind, is to completely repeal the quarantine power of, of federal governments, because we've seen how they've massively misused this. I mean, quarantines in the past have never been used for healthy populations. You would never use a quarantine for a healthy population. That just never happened in all of human history. And then suddenly, uh, 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 the whole populations, hundreds of millions of people, uh, were subject to the quarantine rules by, by government. So I, that power needs to go away. Uh, governments, most governments in the world never had that kind of extreme quarantine power until sometime in the 1940s. And the reason they didn't have it was because that it was so subject to abuse. So I would like to see that uh, completely gotten rid of. Uh, another thing that we really need to tackle is the inordinate power of the public health bureaucracies. Um, that really has to come to an end, and the only way I know how to do that is to permit our elected representatives to be able to uh, fire employees for when they're up to no good or even just dramatically cut their budgets. I think something needs to happen to prevent that from happening again. Uh, on the problem of censorship, uh, we saw many cases, we have vast amounts of evidence amounting to tens of thousands of pages of documents, that showed that governments were cooperating very closely with social media companies, uh, big tech companies, and uh, media companies generally to censor uh, dissenting voices in ways that are contrary to all conceptions of free speech. So that sort of close collaborative relationship between big tech, big media, big government, and for that matter, for that matter big farm, pharmaceutical companies, really needs to uh, come to an end. We need a, a clear wall of separation between government, media, tech, and, and the pharmaceutical companies, or else we're going to face a situation uh, of continuing collaboration and abuse of the population's rights in the future. That's extremely important. Is, is there anything that we could have done in order to do that while this was happening that you can see? Uh, I think we were all very naive in the early days. We didn't really want to believe that companies like Facebook uh, or uh, uh, companies like Microsoft and LinkedIn and so on were cooperating so closely with the federal government. I think we've all been shocked to discover this. Um, so I'm, I, we, we knew that, that uh, people were being censored. Or, or throttled in their in their reach, or just blocked and banned. But we didn't know it was happening at the behest of of of, of government agencies. So uh, uh, the, I don't think there was really anything that we could have done. Uh, 
one thing I think we'll know for next time is just to have less trust in, in our public health agencies and, and, and these big social media platforms and, uh, and in the media, which, are, which basically served, in the major media served as the mouthpiece for government for the better part of two and three years. So uh, to my mind, citizens need to start looking at alternative media sources and using different kinds of technologies and getting uh, promises from the companies that we're dealing with that they're not going to cooperate with Facebook and Google and Microsoft and the rest of these companies that have showed themselves to be so thoroughly compromised. I think it's extremely important that citizens get control of their their uh, privacy again. And that could mean turning to completely different forms of communication uh, between ourselves, uh, bolstering our local communities in in-person meetings, and and relying less on these centralized uh, sources. And 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 I hope that happens the next time they try to pull something like this, uh, because uh, they certainly have lost uh, trust. I mean, every poll in the United States, I'm not sure about Canada, but every poll in the United States shows that there's a mass loss of trust in, in media and in big tech and in public health generally in government as a result of this experience. And I hope that loss of trust translates into something good, which is that, you know, we stop relying on these companies uh, and trusting big media as much as we have in the past. Okay, I think I'm going to ask if the commissioners have any questions for uh, for our uh, our guests. Yeah. Good morning, uh, Mr. Tucker, and thank you for your testimony. I, I have a question. You you, you talk um, quite a bit, and there's been a lot of news about the um, cooperation between the big tech companies and the government. You know, I was raised in a time when every town, every city had its own little newspaper and its own little set of reporters. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, I haven't heard a lot said about what happened to those traditional media sources, those newspapers with those reporters working at them in every community who were competing against each other and telling the story and doing investigations. Can you comment a little bit about what happened or what you believe may have happened in, in those traditional print media uh, areas? Yeah, everything changed over the last 25 years. Print media uh, began to be replaced by the internet. And then uh, the industry became to be entirely reorganized so that even local media was entirely dependent on centralized media sources. Um, uh, to the point that uh, they no longer really had uh, much independence. And, and that that's, that's remains true today. Uh, another problem is that a lot of the reporters, and this became a huge source of frustration for me uh, over the course of uh, three years, a lot of these local reporters know better than to uh, report things that are contrary to what uh, the dominant mainstream media is saying because they don't want to harm their careers. So because every local media essentially wants to be bought out by a, a more centralized media, and the reporters want to hang on to their jobs and then uh, experience advance. So these days, we really are having more and more to rely on citizen journalism 
which is taking place at, at places like Substack and, uh, and, and, and Twitter ever since Elon Musk took over and other venues. It's really the only place you're going to get kind of independent news uh, because the entire industry has gone through such, such a, a dramatic upheaval. So the point that you know, local news is not really local news anymore. I mean, I know this myself. I mean, uh, uh, I'll sometimes get a call from, remember one time I got a call from uh, CNN to, to, to talk about some economic subject. I was surprised over the, over the following week that my one clip appeared in thousands of local venues all over the country, uh, all branded by the local station. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't local news. But it was all branded under the local station, so that, this is how this is how it works. It's all it's all become industrially uh, centralized and, and canned, and therefore easy to control by government. You, you know, we always talk about in Canada, the United States, we always talk about the free market, free market of, of business, free market of ideas. Are, are you, it, it sounds to me like you're not describing a free market of information. Uh, yeah, not at all anymore. It's it's uh, it becomes it became very important during the pandemic years, especially for for uh, centralized government powers to control information flows, and that impacted everything uh, from uh, early treatments to opinions on uh, lockdowns. Uh, 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 you know, when when groups in in the U.S. and Canada protested. Uh, the media swung into action, demonizing them as as uh, uh, disease spreaders without any evidence. So uh, it's it you know the controlling the news has become very important to uh, corrupt uh, bureaucracies and government. Uh, you know I'm old enough, and perhaps I shouldn't bring this up, but I'm old enough to remember the Vietnam War and the coverage that the American and Canadian press had of that event. And to my mind, that was not quite comparable. This is an order of magnitude different, but it was something that tugged at the very fibers of the American society. And can you comment a little bit about the difference between the, the way the press either challenged or did not challenge the, the government narrative and how they reacted at this time? Uh, this time it was almost a universal agreement that these these actions that we should be clear are without precedent. I mean, in our lifetimes, are really in 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 hundreds of years, really. Uh, we've never seen anything like this. It was as if uh, rights and liberties that we in, uh, that we you know, won over the course of a thousand years of historical progress suddenly didn't exist. You'd think that it would have been a greater source of controversy, but it was just the opposite. I mean, the media was acting as if this is just the way you do pandemics. I can promise you this is not the way you do pandemics. This is the, the, the actions of governments all over the world, which basically copying the China model, uh, uh, you know, had no historical precedent whatsoever and should have been enormously uh, controversial. Uh, but instead, the media was just completely fell into line. And, and now you see what's going on. They, they just basically stop talking about it, you know. <clears throat> media these days will report on things like the ill health or the loss of education on the part of students or uh, growing amounts of uh, uh, teen and young adult uh, mental uh, disorders and, and problems and the rise of depression and drug abuse and all these things that are a fallout from 
the lockdown years and yet never mention you know that it has anything to do with the public health response so the censorship some of its self-censorship is still going on you know this in canada and i i believe the united states is the same we have legislation and canada it's called the uh, anti-combines legislation i believe that's not quite the real name but the intent is to prevent monopolies from removing our uh, free market mm -hmm. and I think the reason I say that is because when I listen to what you say, and you're being an economist, I, I listen to what you say, and I'm, and I believe what you're describing is a monopolization yep. of these venues, and that is supposed to be illegal in Canada and the United right. States. Well, when the when the monopolization benefits uh, very powerful people, uh, apparently there's nobody uh, left to object to it. Which is why I think the ultimate solution to this is is a kind of decentralization of uh, citizen journalism. I mean, it's a very painful process. Uh, people have to wean themselves from from their attachments to national media. You know, turn off those notifications, delete those apps. Uh, it's the only way we're going to get from here to the truth. I don't I don't think the antitrust authorities in any country are interested in busting up uh, big media at this point because it's serving their interests too much. Sadly. Is is there not precedent, particularly in the United States, for antitrust laws to be applied to large mm -hmm. industries? Yeah, there is, uh, but uh, but uh, not usually when those large industries became monopolized with the cheers of government themselves. Uh, and and so we've seen over the pandemic period that these monopolies have served very powerful interests. So they don't have any interest in busting them up, unfortunately. Uh, there's plenty of antitrust to do these days, but it's uh, but it's not likely to happen. And in fact, I'm not even sure how it it really would happen. I think the most important thing we could do right now is to unplug uh, national security from from its controls over over our big media venues, and and we're nowhere near uh, being done with that, unfortunately. Thank you very much, sir. Are there any other questions from the commissioners? No. Okay, well, thank you very much for your uh, okay. interesting presentation. That's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So we're going to take a 10-minute uh, break and recommence at about 3 minutes to 11.